everybody. Welcome back to a very special all-new X's for Show. What makes it very special? Well, it's nothing but number ones all day. This is like your favorite episode of American Bandstand or Pop of the Charts, but it's uh, definitely books and not music. I'm Nico, and you can check me out at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental. And I'm in the corner watching you talk comics. I'm your producer, Kevo, at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. We are really going to need to turn that into a Robin number. I, oh, I'm yeah. Going, whoa, whoa, whoa. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's do it. We got some uh, We got some big talks to talk. And they're all a little bit bigger than they seem, in part because there's a lot of stuff going on in the Marvel Universe right now. And so it gives us an opportunity to talk about a ton of things. Uh, we've got Avengers Twilight, number one, the much ballyhooed and long-awaited. Uh, we have Jackpot, number one. And we have a cable number one that somehow defies all logic. Um, not in a bad way. Just there is like nothing like Fabian ECA's consistency in like all of comics right now. So, Nico's and my group therapy journey around comic books and constantly finding ways to cover it, uh, cover the subjects. While the subjects get, uh, sometimes just, they go to really unhinged places that we were not expecting. Uh, it makes the journey all that more, uh, Tolkienian, let us say. There's high heights, there's low lows, there's a spider that wraps us up in its webbing, but we... What is Pride of the X-Men, but the 80s Hobbit cartoon? Thank you. I, I see it. I'd be on to see it. Um, so, okay. Here's my thing for you, right? Yeah. The number one situation in Marvel right now is really interesting because one of the things that they're asking us to think about is they're asking us to think about the future of the Marvel Universe, the past of the Marvel Universe, and what's going on right now. And I think this is actually a really beautiful encapsulation of kind of all of it. Everything here is a little bit of a loving tribute to something else while still trying to be its own thing, uh, for better or for worse, actually. Um you know, but one of the things that I'm always thinking about is when Marvel tells me this is the new number one, go with this. You know, I try to accept the new normal they're pushing my way. And so I'm thinking this time, and I'm asking myself our big question, uh, Rise, Fall, Gang War, or Blood Hunt, what piece of the Marvel 2024 event calendar have they gotten you to buy into the hardest? Uh, you know, for me right now... I think the thing I'm most excited for is somehow Rise and Fall, uh, because it's not a schedule of stuff I'm too excited about. Um, oh, listen, Tim. Tim, number one, uh, I definitely owe you a message. Hey, what's up, number two? <laughs> hey, you're awesome. Um, that, that's Robbie, because I see Robbie has now jumped into the room as well. Uh, this is a, a real who's Robbie, we are going to talk about the jackpot outfit. Don't worry. I think I tweeted some of my best material on this earlier today, and I would like to get into it on the show. So um, I did read Daredevil number five, which was, for my money, the... It, there's this special thing that certain shows can do where the filler episode also has some major point of content. It's that scene between Giles and uh, Angel in um, Now You See Me, I think, where he's like, the Codex? What about the Minimum Codex? And yeah. Angel's like, I could get that for you. Sure. And, you know, Giles is like, oh, thank you very much. I don't like you. Though. And, like, it's this moment in this completely pointless episode that has nothing to do with anything. Um, Daredevil number five managed to be that moment 
in what is otherwise a what the fuck did I just read kind of issue. Um, that really was an issue about She-Hulk being unstoppably hungry. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Didn't mean to daredevil derail. But, um, okay. The big state of the Marvel Universe right now has me wondering a lot of things. Because Daredevil is actually very on my mind. Uh, I think between the amount of things that we're seeing Daredevil pop up in, like She-Hulk, uh, Echo, the upcoming Born Again, the MCU is putting a lot of emphasis on that corner of the Marvel Universe. So I want to be more excited about Gang War. But um, it's just not happening for me. And I feel like what Rise and Fall is offering me is at least a chance to say goodbye to something. And I feel like I never got to know what was going on in Blood Hunt before I'm already told that it looks like this Avengers run will end with Blood Hunt. And as far as Gang War, I'm convinced Gang War was they realized they had six stories they didn't know how to finish and just pushed it into Gang War. <sighs> You're making some really valid points. I was gonna kind of going to say Gang War. I, I don't know where I'm at with... Uh, the x-men right now it's feeling a little weird in the it's feeling a little weird to try and embrace this um gang war for as mishmashy as it is i feel like i'm having a little bit of fun with the chaos at this point um i don't know there is something about it that is just uh <laughs> It is a mess, but it's my little mess, and I have no expect. The, I feel like the thing is that you have let go of the X Men needing to be uh, good, <laughs> the X Men needing to be what you expect and what you know it can be, and like that needing it to live up to the ideas that I feel like you and I talk X Men all day, and we have great ideas, and this is the therapy thing that I'm talking about. You and I are in therapy about this together where we just talk about it a lot and we talk through it. And there was definitely a time where I know we were both talking at each other. Like, do we just want to drop talking about the X-Men? And we really worked through that. And I have a lot of really positive feelings, but there are definitely still times. There were times today reading the books that are in uh, rise and fall where I was just like, this is not quite right, man. And I can't let go of those emotions with uh gang war. I can let go of those emotions and uh, Mary Jane can look like she is dressed to be a ski instructor in the 1993 film Aspen Extreme for her superhero debut. And I will just giggle along with the whole situation. Uh, I'm just I just can't quite get there with the X-Men right now. And I think something that I really want to give you a lot of credit for, because if we're going to talk about gang war for a second, let's just talk about gang war for a second. Um, Daredevil gang war one and two. Uh, if you're reading Daredevil, you're actually only getting half the story because the other half is going on in Gang War where it's the other Daredevil, uh, the one who's frankly a little more interesting right now. So uh, I definitely find myself maybe a little at times disappointed that, um, that I'm not getting everything I need from one Daredevil title, but I'm definitely happy to get it from two. So yeah, there's definitely a lot going on there for... Uh, for gang war the thing that i'm having a little trouble getting it up for and i reread everything today because i was reading twilight and i wanted to go in you know very twilight time and i wanted to go in very excited about it so i reread avengers thinking that yeah i could get a little monster mash going and um 
I think Jed McKay waited a lifetime to write this story, and I think it's getting treated very secondary. And I think it's one of those things where you can like you can always see that Jason Aaron came up on writing Wolverine and Deathlock, and uh, you can always see it because there's always a Wolverine or a Deathlock. You know what I mean? But Jed McKay is referencing stories from two years ago, a year and a half ago, like they're the tried true tales that we all kind of grew up on. And some places it works, and some places it's a nightmare. And it it's cute, and I love Thor in that. But he's like, the damned Jean Grey hurt me! And I'm like, yes, she's the phoenix. The damned Jean Grey can hurt you. People have nightmares about her. You should know who she is. So, like, I feel like in some ways, Blood Hunt suffers from this Avengers run being treated secondary. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing where... We and you and I were talking about this earlier today. Um, the Aaron run really felt like it was a great thing. I talked about this so much on the show. It was a great thing for onboarding uh, new comics fans who came from the MCU because it was so recognizably MCU Avengers. Uh, and the whole concept was that Avengers are like pillars of themselves. They are platonic forms of themselves. So you kid who had never read a Marvel comic and started going to the X-Men or to the Avengers movies, to the MCU movies, uh, can pick up these books. And while they're not going to be your MCU Avengers I will lead you through understanding how there is a core of the cap played by Chris uh, Chris Evans and the guy that you see in comics. And he did a great job with that, Jason Aaron. I, I thought I would really hate that run. I was like angry at Nico for making me talk about it sometimes. And I just see so much value in it, even in times when it's not great. And as part of that, he introduces so much vampire current events. And it was one of the things that really impressed me about this run was it was really about this is what's going on throughout the world that is the Marvel Universe in so many different corners. Uh, you know, from Russia and Russia trying to have its own Avengers to uh, the vampires to hell. We talked about so much stuff. And so he sets up this vampire stuff that Blade then inherits, and we've had some cool Blade stories. We got Bloodline, Daughter of Blade, such an important story. They're still popping up. This Blade book is on issue seven, and yet I'm, I can hype up all this stuff to you, but Marvel has not been hyping it up to you. It is Marvel's property, and after Aaron really had to step away from the vampires and get his Avengers run finished... We got like a, a one shot that was very good, but really not marketed. Uh, uh, Bloodline, I think they gave up on the minute it came out. Um, hey, but she appeared in Miles. I was about to say she appeared in Miles and a black man, his daughter and another young man of color all appearing together is like a really good POC Bechdel test that we never meet. Um, so there's been all this great stuff and it would really just take Marvel saying, Hey, we've got a great vampire. They managed to get more hype together for curse of the mutants. 
uh, way back in the day when the X-Men had to do all kinds of stupid vampire stuff and Jubilee became a vampire. And now we're at this place where I think they have a good vampire story, but it can't be good in a vacuum because, well, yeah. And I think that's even true of the thing you were mentioning a moment ago about the Russian storyline. Uh, it can't be good in a vacuum. And the Russian storyline is also getting picked up on now in yeah. something you just turned me on to today. Yeah. Uh, those two issues of Thunderbolts by Kelly and Lansing were yeah. uh, just absolute ugh, justice like lightning. Um, first of all, I mean, I think you almost undersold it because it was yeah. almost like somebody said, what if we took all of the things that worked about the, the Russia storyline from Avengers and we took all of the things that worked from that egregious overblown cap finale and um, we, we made something of it because J. Michael Straczynski is very you stay out of my sandbox yep. and doesn't really want to play with others. So he's yep. not looking to take on those reins from that storyline and he shouldn't have to. He's paid his dues. So I just I really feel like what you're saying this sort of like nebulousness of unsupportedness if a title yeah. doesn't come along and give you that boost if a thunderbolts doesn't come along and say hey i see you destroyer it, nothing's gonna happen with it and i didn't love the idea of that thunderbolts because i liked luke cage's thunderbolts inherited from wilson fisk's thunderbolts and glory. guts and glory uh who i think about nightly all just every day um I there was something really cool there and again lineage matters so the idea that the Thunderbolts had become a paramilitarized New York uh, kind of goon squad and it's not really better under fifth under uh, cage because you shouldn't just have you know the mayor's superhero squad but they're you know they're all heroes so what are we going to do with this let's talk about it five issues really fun storytelling none of that is answered okay that's fine because we'll get another mini we'll get something else we'll talk about it there then thunderbolts comes up again and it is a reflection of the hopes of what the mcu thunderbolts will be but we're so far away from that one this book will be entirely forgotten by the time that movie comes out. Two, if they get on set and realize that there's like no chemistry between Sebastian Stan and Florence Pugh, they're going to change some significant parts of that film. And then this Thunderbolts run that is old and forgotten anyway will have included elements to service the MCU uh, storylines that no longer matter. So what did we do this for? Um, and all of that is further made frustrating by the fact that again who is telling you you gotta read this besides me telling my partner to read it you know i and the thing i said to you today is like we can't be the ones doing all the work marketing has to care about these titles in some way beyond just announcing them at solicits and telling you at conventions that the next big thing is coming and i think these are all really good examples of things where it's like if you put a little hype into these we could have some fun and they could matter and i i've had a week right so we just drove up um we drove we drove a bit to make it to see someone real cool and uh on the ride, um, for the most part, uh, Kebo and I keep each other pretty awake. But, you know, every now and then Kebo likes to close his eyes. And you know how, like, this perfect thing happens where you're alone and the person in the car is asleep. So no one's going to hear you crank up John Mayer's room for squares as you drive north through New England, 
which is like, I think the appropriate time, if there is an appropriate time to play Room for Squares, kind of death of the author about it. One of the things that I'm bringing this up because of is reading Avengers Twilight gave me a sense of classic vertigo that I, mm-hmm, I rarely mm-hmm. get. And one of the things that happens is that as I've grown and remained an active member of fandom, even when I'm not an active reader of a title, right? Like I always collect Daredevil. It actually doesn't matter if I read it. It goes in a bin. I buy it. I make sure I get it. Uh, sometimes I'll go like eight months and then I'll go buy a bunch from a shop. But like there is no year I'm not collecting Daredevil. And the same is actually true of John Constantine. There is I have, I have an unbroken run of John Constantine. And so I just picked up another one today. Um, you know, there's things that happen where you feel a connection to an era. And those things really build on who you are. I have an extreme connection to the Claremont Revolution. The Claremont Revolution is that period of X-Men that came right before New X-Men. It is so famously overblown and overcomplicated that Joe Quesada has said it was impossible to understand one book without reading four. And he's right. Then today we're walking through Coast City Comics in Maine, a really great comic shop. And uh, they have a copy of Cable Revolution on the shelf. And so then that's in my head. And one of the things that this is all stirring for me is when Vuck was the bad guy of Dark Phoenix Saga. And she's based on a character that appears one time in one issue of Maximum Security. The ending Avengers X-Men crossover that kind of signals the end of the revolution era. That made those issues that had been unimportant for 20 years suddenly collectible again. And it escalated the value of that storytelling. And so for all of the ways that I really, really hear, because I was heartbroken when Guts and Glory didn't turn into more. I'm also kind of like, but now here's what's going to happen. You know, Steve Yuen just left the production and the rumor was he was set to play Sentry. Um, what actor will they get to step in? And what if they decide it's not Sentry? What if they make it someone like a Guts and Glory? Because they're like a Vuck. They're on the shelf. And they're available. There really is a potency to the potentiality of story. And I think three of the books we're talking about today, you know, Avengers, Twilight, Cable, and Jackpot, they really celebrate that in one way or another. Jackpot was just a small idea 20 years ago, and now look at her. I I really see what you're saying, and I maintain that same level of, like, I'm really, I'm ready to go with all of these stories. Um, but I I remain really cautious because I I feel like I become the keeper of the knowledge. And, you know, I, and so many of us, I think, sit there on X Twitter and are like, ah, but do you remember the thing? Because it was really important to me. I loved the thing, whatever it was back in the day. And just so many fans are like, get over it, move past the thing. Uh, and but the I don't is part of the magic that makes up my body now. I can't right. just get back. Well, and also like I don't just want to keep stratifying. Like it just I don't want to keep pounding down layer and layer uh, of really cool stories that just get forgotten. I don't think everything has to be relevant all of the time, but I think we're missing the balance of like Thunderbolts is just such a great example. I don't want to forget 
Luke Cage's Thunderbolts. And I don't want to forget the the history of Luke Cage's Thunderbolts coming out of Wilson Fisk's Thunderbolts. Uh, Fisk is back in New York fighting in the gang war, running the Hellfire Club, and has managed to never once be like, I was mayor of this city. You all are driving me insane. Uh, and so I just don't want to, and I worry, you know, come born again season, we'll be doing entirely different things with Fisk. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm still like so down with all this stuff, but I just, I am noticing that thing where I'm thinking of all my stories, all my things like revolution, uh, where I'm just like uh, a little, little dubious, that if I invest in Twilight, which I think is worth investing in, uh, it will pay the dividends I think it ought to. Um, I, I'm going to reply to that every word of it in one second. Kevo, Please. is this the one that Joey that Joey was at the theater with us? Dark Phoenix, is that the one that Joey showed up at the theater at the same time and we saw the movie together and then we forced him into the coverage? Uh, I think you might be on mute. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, that's why you weren't hearing me say yes. Uh, yes, I put in the comments a uh, link to part one of Husband Talking More or Less is podcast coverage of the Dark Phoenix film because we did a little project uh, where we covered the whole Dark Phoenix oeuvre, which covered the Marks, the, the Fox film first uh, as, part, as part of our initial Marvel coverage. And uh, yeah, we happened to run into friend and Cage Club uh, podcast channel owner, Joey, our showing and so we had him on our episode and god did he hate us he hates us every time we have him on our show i just don't think this is a very good movie and i'm going to give you a lot of really compelling reasons but ultimately they're all very fair and like it's impossible and to i'm argue still with gonna him. give it a b plus okay it's Joey. impossible to argue with him he's so fair and measured in his thoughts anyway check it out it's one of my favorite episodes we ever did anytime we got joey on it's always amazing um, so one of the things that I can't wait to really talk about, uh, Twilight is because for me, um, you know, TK, I think whether we both experienced it at the time or we've, we've absorbed it in some other way, I think elements of Earth X, of, uh, Kingdom Come, of what I keep comparing this to, Twilight of the Superheroes, even though now that I've held it in my hands, I see that it's actually just the sequel to Mayor Fisk and uh, Devil's Reign. Which, oh, by the way, uh, Tim, if you're still in the audience, this is a can't miss. This is, a, this is Devil's Reign Part 2 thematically in so many cool ways. Um, Avengers Twilight really felt to me like I was reading... Uh, certainly not in a diminutive way, not uh, taking shots at Chip Zdarsky's unique voice, because this is, you know, his third or fourth alt-future, excuse me, alt-future. Um, I felt like I was reading the best of, like, like messy vertigo. The kind of vertigo where the storytelling isn't quite there. It's a it's a little too messy to understand all all of the stuff that's happening. There's a lot of between-the-line stuff, but the magic is in letting the story hit you how it does. For me, this was a political parable about the way we have translated everything about politics onto TikTok and are replacing that with research. I'm sorry, I'm replacing research with that. Um, but I think it's going to be something different to everybody. TK, how is, you know, we read Twilight like literally 20 minutes apart on the same yeah. couch. Yeah. Uh, how was Twilight for you? 
Um, I love what you just said about the political message because Zdarsky is very obviously doing something. He is very obviously having like a, this is the vibe of the world that I'm creating, but don't you see how a lot of these things that I'm saying are kind of extensions of things that we worry about a lot now. One of the big conceits of Twilight, for anybody who hasn't read the first issue, is this future, for whatever reason, really does not allow public filming. Uh, and The Watcher Act. Yes. Uh, and it is very clearly something that has gone too far but you can see is born out of this thing that is happening where people are like, I'm literally getting hurt because a random kid is trying to film a prank for TikTok and just no longer has boundaries. Uh, and how would that translate into the superhero world? How would that get so bad that the entire idea of vigilante justice has to change? This is just a great Scotty Young cover. Good Lord. Um, I really love what you're talking about, about, cause like, I mean, you know, I, I even had, I guess I shortchanged it. I thought about how they're going to get it back to vigil that this cover, this Lionel Francis, you cover yeah. is literally what all of my porn dreams are made of like <laughs> Captain America. This is True. literally 200% perfect, but like I kind of stopped short of how super heroics and vigilantism has to change. And in my head, I just kept seeing this as a sort of return to the classic parable. Okay. I guess, I guess we'll do it. Tim, thank God you're here. Um, this is a Frank Miller cover, guys. Uh, at least it's a side profile this time and not Wolverine coming up at you from the page. Um, or the thing just looking like uh, a stone maze from an ancient civilization. <laughs> that is... Uh, Okay, where he looks like an Aztec Mayan style fusion pyramid where he was like, you know what, I'm not going to figure out which kind of temple this is going to be. I'll borrow! Oh my god. Legend of the Yonkers Temple. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, the Yancey Street pyramids are uh, unforgettable. And yeah, Tim, I completely agree. Did we need Cap as Dark Knight? No. No. But I'm going to get my hands on it eventually anyway. And it then I will say the nice thing is for as pessimistic as this book is in thinking about the future that it is creating, it doesn't really go into grim, dark, dark night territory. Uh, Zadarsky gets things like that. He gets that. You can make a really dark Avengers future book, but you really should never try and go to a tone that people would say, this feels like the Dark Knight. This feels like Batman. This feels like... Because it just never is. Even if it's Tony Stark, uh, it that's just not going to work. And he knows how to do tones for everybody and for the group. So this is a... Marvel's dark futures are always really bright and really active and really packed with stuff. And then it's always, there's rot in all of the activeness. Tim Burnham says, I love Miller's art, but these recent variant covers have not been up to par. In my opinion, we are all in agreement with you. <laughs> uh, Miller is a tough subject right now. Um, kind of wish we weren't seeing those, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean like, I, he gets what 
this future needs to be for for readers interest to hang in and to not just be every oh the future is dark let's go fix it so it's not dark anymore uh there is a real element to this that's like there were problems there were problems that allowed for the future to get worse that those problems could have been addressed in a way that we wouldn't have ended up here and one of the things that I want to address is the principal storytelling device that they use here is the scars of our shared history ultimately break us. You know, it's one thing where Cap goes to Carol in a book, making this up, and Cap goes to Carol and he's like, you know, Carol, uh, I was with most of the Avengers while you were off in space and, you know, we really faced a time crisis and I'm broken. And that new run, that new run, this new writer is going to have Carol take Cap on the shoulder and say, you're going to be okay. And they share this sort of moment where one person's damage becomes a shared damage and they can grow past it. But Avengers Twilight addresses the shared damage that no one can give to someone else. Events like Civil War. They are things, you know, they have H-Day here. They are things that these heroes can't escape. And the, the shared narrative of brokenness is sort of distilled across three heroes that I think are really the caretakers of Zdarsky's Marvel leg uh, legacy, right? We have Cap uh, talking to Luke Cage, Cap talking to Daredevil, and Cap talking to Spider-Man. And whether or not Zdarsky has had a lot of time with Luke Cage, Luke Cage Mayor is one of the most important things that has ever happened to the Marvel Universe, if for no other reason. We finally have another father figure that is not Spider-Man, for miles in the amount of involvement Luke has had with his book in the last two years. And I think that the choice to spoilers here, and that's our show, kill both Spider-Man in the past and Daredevil off panel, either Daredevil secretly alive, and this is just to manipulate Cap into action or something, but Zdarsky is synonymous with Luke Cage, Spider-Man, and Daredevil taking two of them off the board and saying that one of them is only a supporting character at best, Zdarsky is bearing his understanding of the Marvel Universe for us. He's saying, take away my trappings. You know, it's like almost like Claremont saying, take away strong women, Wolverine, and weird BDSM sex vibes. What's left? Here I am. And I really think that's what Zdarsky is giving us with Twilight. Every page is dripping with honesty. And I think it's really important because we have... Uh, watched a lot of creators constantly pull in their faves and their greatest hits in a way that I love. Aaron committing to Thor for like 14 years all the way through this Avengers run. You know, I mean, this Avengers run is kind of a continuation of his Thor run. Like it's the whole thing is connected and that's not a bad thing, but it takes a real like uh, you know i'm putting myself out there i'm uh, i'm bearing my soul to you to say oh the characters that i have become really known for uh particularly i think matt um that's a that's a real risk and that's a real statement to say like i'm not just putting my faves in fave positions and we do a fun little story, I'm committing to an idea that I had that might even put 
characters that I write well and that I'm known for in Jeopardy such that I can't use them as a crutch to be like, oh man, here goes the Darsky again with another Daredevil story, which I would have been, as soon as I saw Matt, I did that. Uh, as soon as I, I saw old man Matt, I thought, oh, here we go. We didn't lose the Red Fist saga. We just moved it up. And while I don't love that he died off panel, and I do hope that we get more, uh, I I did immediately drop that, like, we never lost the Red Fist saga. I never needed to worry about this new Daredevil title taking over. Uh, no, it's this is a whole other thing. And that's, that's brave, and it was good. Uh, it was a smart thing to do. It's challenging to the reader. I really think the other thing that is positively challenging to the reader is uh, the art, the Daniel Cunha art. So I want to touch on two things in that regard. You said Please. something that really transformed my understanding of what I read in a really positive regard. I, you know, I have so many books that I kind of hold as the benchmarks. It's Uncanny. It's Daredevil. It's always been uh, Hellblazer for me, kind of more than Sandman because there's 75 Sandman and then, but there's 300 plus Hellblazer. And when Pete Milligan was writing Hellblazer during the era that Vertigo ma uh, remained true to the original DC canon, while the rest of Vertigo, New 52'd, I was like, oh, holy shit, never mind. I don't have anything to worry about because Pete Milligan, the guy who's still writing uh, John Constantine, who created Epiphany Greaves, the second greatest character in the history of John Constantine lore ever. Okay, he's going to be the one who brings, uh, you know, Constantine into the new 52. It's going to be great. I opened the book and of course he's not the main character. And, of course, he's not the central focus of every arc. Of course it's about something bigger than that. Because someone like Pete Milligan doesn't want to be defined by his understanding of a single character any more than someone like Chip Zdarsky, who cut his teeth on drawing some of the best interiors I've ever seen in Sex Criminals, uh, and then moving over to some of the most clever writing I've ever read in Daredevil. It really is important to... If you're Mariah Carey, not always be known for whistle register. It's you don't want to be a joke for knowing one note. And uh, Daniel Acuna is someone who is very hit or miss for me. I'm going to level with you. This is the best interiors I've looked at. It's messy. It's messy. It's so messy that it's frustrating, right? There's pages where I'm not sure what I'm looking at, but... Um, this is storytelling at its best. The color work where the digital pages are concerned, where they're trying to make it clear that people are walking around projecting their cell phones in front of them. So they're walking around looking at holograms and then there are ad holograms in the air. Oh my God, this is an abstractist dream, but this is a literalist nightmare. And depending on where you fall in between and the notes you like... It's, it's a matter of if you prefer French vanilla or Tahitian vanilla. There's nothing wrong with either one. But, oh my god, the messiness of this for me was comparable, but certainly not similar to uh, the the high point of Bacalo creativism. It's also, uh, it ramps up. Um, because oh, the, the issue... last pages are so much stronger than the first few pages, yeah. Well, but also more challenging. <laughs> 
Uh, the issue starts out with uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> old, old man Steve Rogers just at home. So there's not a ton of places where Acuna can do the really abstract thing. And Steve is just a guy living his life. And we then transition into seeing more of what the future looks like. We meet the son of guys. Get get ready for this one because this might haunt us for a while. It's the son- it's just Cade Kildare. It's Cade Kildare who went through puberty and got tattoos. The son of uh, Tony Stark and Janet Van Dyne. Uh, really, Brody. Really fascinating. Yeah, uh, whose name is James. Fascinating choice because this would feel to me like the exact time and place where an editor would have said, make it the child of Tony and Emma. Um mm. Who, who? Uh, spoiler alert for future conversation in this episode, guys. Uh, maybe made that baby today. So just that was. I don't understand. I okay. That we're gonna get into thirty. Yeah. And that, now, now that you, now that I, I put it out there. Uh, but so anyway, there's this kid, and his world starts to feel uh, artistically overly bright, difficult to look at a little bit more confusing nothing really is solid and then steve starts going out in the world and your eye can't focus on elements of a panel the world is so active and loud and bright and full of stuff and i i, I don't think this is like this is bad well i should be able to focus on the panel the point is not only is the future hyper real and hyper extreme but also this is not a world we can grasp onto this is not a this is not days of future past where i think we're going to return to this often uh this is not the iskani future where we're going to camp out for a while with cyclops and phoenix this is meant to be like don't be comfortable here don't uh there's there's not a lot of ground for you the reader to have here because this shouldn't exist uh and that really reaches a fever pitch of just kind of confusion and chaos and the one place where i get what they did this kind this is kind of a mix of script writing and art uh but is in the second to last page uh or maybe the third to last page um they do a single page montage of getting Steve Rogers from old man, not cap, just Steve, just an old man who is not a super soldier to, um, a, a super, so old man, super soldier, Steve, uh, he gets the soldier serum back in his body and he, he's still old, but, he is a super soldier. He looks like someone I would be very, very attracted to. It is uh, the, the the there is a montage that I have a problem with, and then the next page, uh, we are introduced to uh, the most beautiful man on the planet, past, present, or future. Uh, but it is the montage itself for me is just maybe not the choice I would have made for that because it's such a such a big thing that like Steve Rogers stopped being cap and stopped having the super soldier serum. And they just very quickly are, uh, you're back. We're, we're bringing you back. Uh, which is fine. We got a lot to do. I think five issues might be where we go with this book. So if that is the case, I'm glad we got to the point. Uh, but it was just a very quick 
thing to move through in a book that relies on the chaos of its art. So I'm I've been I've been mulling this book all day. Yeah. And if you told me that this book was the entry point to the end of the Marvel universe, I would be thrilled. Um I don't know. There's a romanticism to this book. There is a there is a something there is something almost like when you finish a Sondheim, you're really sad. There is no Sondheim that has a purely happy ending. And uh, Sondheim, you know, as a as a musical librettist, is somebody who believes in the power of story, right? Like, um, there's been a lot of articles about the arranger who worked on all of Sondheim's work has been getting a lot of interviews lately, which has led people to looking to the original demos of what makes those Sondheim songs so powerful and so haunting. And if you strip away the artifice of look at this big Marvel event that they started in January. So if it runs 12 years, uh, 12 months, it runs the full year. It's, you know, 12 issues, one a month that it tells the twilight story of 2024. If you told me that this introduced the point at which the Marvel Universe broke. I'm telling you guys, this is Earl Grey in the newspaper on a Sunday morning. This is uh, this is a part of like this American life for me. It feels I don't know if it just feels so familiar because of all of the haunting notes of Earth X. And you know, I, I wish Jake were here right now. Jake, uh, TK's partner, who is you know number one brilliant, but number two uh, equally devoutly in love with a, a specific work that I am kind of a, a little simpy for. Um, Earth X, it is, you know, Jim Kruger and Alex Ross really reaching an apex, and it's famously a response to something called Twilight of the Superheroes. Twilight of the Superheroes was Alan Moore's idea to kind of end the DC universe and uh, send all of those superheroes into oblivion uh, by using a future story where they're all felled. And so uh, seeing Twilight of the Superheroes sort of become the basis in some thematic ways for Avengers Twilight. I, I can only hope that we get Marvel Universe Twilight two years from now. And after that, the whole Marvel Universe is reborn a beautiful new digital welcome place. But uh, I don't know. TK, how do you feel about the possibility that Chip Zdarsky has, I'm going to put it this way, John Hickman but hot vibes? I feel super good about that. Uh, from <laughs> one about the hot thing, um, I have definitely uh, sent him some tweets that are questionably appropriate. Um, Cheers! Wow, we're both on the same list. There you go. Uh, I I try and make really clear that like no matter how critical I am. So much of it, especially the really harsh stuff, is about the system. It really is not about the creator. Uh, and there are people, you're, you're Jerry Duggins. I I think I wouldn't respond as well if I was hearing that Jerry Duggan, and, and Jerry Duggan has kind of been the Hickman of X-Men for a while, and I don't think I've responded the best to it. His creative vision doesn't quite jive with mine, but man the guy works hard man i have not sat there and orchestrated years of you know multi-plot storylines to any success let alone like questionable success if people don't like it 
I didn't get Sopranos despite being a guy from Jersey who banged every Italian gay dude in the entirety of the tri-state area. But I still understand how it's good art. And yeah. that is how I feel about Jerry Duggan. Yes, I'm obsessed exactly. with the X-Men on every level. but And I see how it's good. Yeah. But his art is not my art. Yeah, doesn't quite jive for me. Um, and a lot of it is also the system. So when we talk about Chip Zdarsky, I am so excited. I mean, because Chip Zdarsky is uh, the person that made me a Daredevil fan in a way that, like, I was becoming interested in what daredevil could be through the mc2 and the character dark devil which is just like the wrongest way possible to uh it is like it is it is the uh hasidic tunnel getting you accidentally into the best bar in town because you took a wrong turn um so smart (laughs) but i that you know i went from being like dark devil i could get into daredevil to starting the zadarsky run and it just made me fall in love with matt electra mary fisk hell's kitchen all of this stuff and it's really changed my comic experience so of course i'm super excited to see this guy taking up some really big reins and i'm so in favor of seeing that go to secret wars territory to his ideas are what the entire literally entire marvel universe will rotate around and all books can stop and restart based on the Zadarsky writing plan. I would be so excited. My fear comes from what does everybody else who works at Marvel do with that brilliant creative work that I know would be perfect? What happens after when things restart? Because the thing we've also talked about is I think Secret Wars was a better time to do a really hard reboot. Uh... And we can keep trying to change the past if we do not simply go back to the island. We have to go back. We have to go back every time. And sometimes we have to go to the side and it's Christian heaven. For years, Kevo was like, can you please quote anything else from the entirety of Lost after we watched it? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I really agree with everything you're saying. And I, I do want to ask you a question, though, because yeah. you made a comment about Dark Devil being a bad way to get into Daredevil. I personally don't think there is a bad way to get into Daredevil, because one of the things that we're seeing right now is the multitudinous ways that Daredevil is being accessed, whether it's through the MCU, through Echo, through even the... I think Hawkeye, as much as it was David Aja and Matt no, that yeah, hugely it was a Daredevil, a Daredevil story. story, and really it, unfortunate that it couldn't be that. But yeah, that's like I'm so glad somebody said that because I've been yeah. Anyway, sorry. Well, I, truly, and you know, one of the things that I think I made a joke to you today. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm secretly uh, a big time musician, and uh, by big time I mean that's all I ever think about. Not like I'm super crazy famous, and you guys didn't realize I was the old man in One Direction, like uh, the older Farley brother in Together. But um, I was reflecting on my doing an insane amount of karaoke and open mic nights as a child, and uh, I was sharing with TK that the Kate Bush running up that hill was in my karaoke. Uh, for money repertoire until I was about 17 years old when I discovered the placebo cover and that went into my uh, my open mic night uh, repertoire. But I think in a lot of ways, Daredevil has become the Kate Bush 
of Marvel Comics. He is somebody who reached a creative apex in the in the 80s, uh, you know, many, many years ago. And his work has been so cited by so many brilliant people, Tori Amos, Amy Mann, over the last 40 years, that there hasn't ever been a moment that somebody didn't say, well, fucking thank God for Kate Bush. And yet she was never the queen of weirdo pop music. Everybody was like, oh, Florence. You know, everybody was like, Edie Brickell, if you're from Utah. But, like, nobody was giving Kate Bush that credit. And I think we're seeing, you know, the Frank Millering of running up that hill here. There really is a... This is Daredevil's moment. And it's in things like Avengers Twilight being a response to everything that is born again. To everything that is Mayor Fisk and Devil's Reign. And I'm really excited to see the future of it. And I am going to slightly 1%, 0.1%. It is the most invisible amount of judgment. But, um, Tim, I will never, ever forget that you just said on the internet that you got into Daredevil through the Ben Affleck movie. Um, that's everything to me. That is, I mean, good judgment. I literally love that. You saw the magic in Daredevil through that film. And I just can't wait for that uh, to come to its full circle completion when Jennifer Garner definitely reprises her role as Elektra in Deadpool 3 uh, coming to us in six months. Man, oh man. I can't feel my hands. I vividly remember seeing that movie for friend of the pod, Tori Sheehan's fellow friend Kelly's, I think, 16th or 15th birthday. It was a very interesting party. Daredevil or Electra? Daredevil. Okay. I am so obsessed with the Electra movie. Electra being like, can you please stop crying so loudly? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean I Wait, you, you I, were obsessed with the Electra movie legitimately? Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. Rewind. Yeah. You were obsessed with the first ever physical adaptation of Typhoid Mary. Yes, that is why. Because I liked Typhoid Mary back in the day. I just didn't know how to access her. Uh, and and the Chris podcast feels. I'm sorry, Doctor Doctor Chris podcast. I would hate to get it wrong. Uh, also loved Typhoid from the film. I mean, you know, the, the whole film is terrible. But I that the character, the idea. Oh man, there it is. Uh, go, Jen. With your straight, 100% not Greek hair. Um, what are we going to do with you, girl? You know, I think the thing that uh, I love the most about her performance of Electra, just to... She actually really did give her all. I don't 100%. think this was... 100%. It's not Electra by way of Sydney Bristow. She really is trying to come up with her own identity for Electra. Yes. It is one of the... It is up there with Holly Berry for actually... Really, really well intended, but yep. fucked by the studio. Yeah, uh, she, she uh, did a. What was that, Kevy? She didn't write her own movie or anything. Right, she did the best uh, she, she could. She wrote, showed up. That was a, a dig at Edward Norton. <laughs> I was like, no, she didn't, Ed Norton. And look what happened there. So, uh, uh, uh well. And also, uh, I feel the exact same way 
uh, all three of us were huge Alias fans, Tim. So uh, we were big Jen Garner fans, and uh, we only wish that that Electra had been able to defeat uh, her demons using the Rambaldi device. So truly, um, truly. all right, I want to wrap up. Yeah, Twilight I think so we can move to other books. We've uh, established this is good. This is exciting. This is fresh. Uh, as with all things these days. There we walk into every new encounter with a backpack full of salt. Mm. Not because anybody has failed in the creative process, but because I simply don't know where we're going to be in six months. <laughs> Tim, you never derail the show. You just put us on the track we didn't realize we were supposed to be on, which Dang. is talking about uh, Sydney Bristow, of course. Always. You really could be the PR guy for Amtrak. So, um, I, <laughs> okay, can, I, can we just do one thing? Can we switch to jackpot for a minute? Yeah, let's I get actually, into it. Cable was my book of the week. Okay. Um, Twilight is my book of the hundred years that we're going to live through. But like, hoping. uh, Cable was my book of the week. So I'd like to save it for the end. Yeah. I remember reading the Spidey Brain Trust, which I don't know how they never called it, like the Brain Web or anything, but the Spidey Brain Trust that was Zeb Wells and Dan Slott and, oh, God, Bob Gale and, oh, he produced all of those things for TV and he's a really good writer and he did Young X-Men. And, oh, uh, not Guggenheim. Um, uh, no, you, thank you. Um they were the Spidey Brain Trust, and they did an incredible job weaving together um, weekly Spider-Man. And every time there wasn't an amazing Spider-Man, that fourth or fifth week, they would do a miniseries. Jackpot was created during that time, and everybody thought she was going to be Mary Jane. She was revealed to be Mary Jane's new roommate. It was hugely disappointing for so many of us, but it was hugely formative for so many of us who really love MJ, especially following the, I mean, TK, I know that not only are you a huge MJ fan, but you've read the two things that define my MJ fandom, the strength of her as a mother in MC2, and the no-holds-queen bitch that is MJ during the JMS run. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this was not her in any way but who this woman was was the woman that i could see giving birth to mayday and i think the cool way that she is exes that is a superhero next to spider-man there was something about this iteration of mj that while she's no mj of mine i can see where she is going to be when you say going to be, what do you mean by that? You know, the nature of comic book characters, especially the comic book characters that have been around since, you know, as they say in the super, I crazy am excited about the way we are just giving into legacy numbers like we don't care about reality anymore. They recommend that you look at uh, Legacy Spider-Man. I think it's like 19 and 42 that are her two first appearances or whatever. I honestly, I'm not the biggest classic MJ fan. So I, I don't have those classic numbers memorized. But when a character has been around since the 1960s, regression is a part of who they are. And we are seeing MJ regressed in a lot of ways to facilitate Peter's growing story. Now that, of course, is the 
that is the opposite of the Bechdel test. That is the bechamel test, and it's sugary sweet with absolutely no substance, and it does nobody any good. But making MJ a legitimate full-blown superhero is a move that forces us to consider the core of the character the same way that we had to consider Pepper Potts when she became Hera in the pages of The Order, or the way we had to first think about what makes Madeline Pryor Madeline Pryor when she became Anodyne in X-Men versus Alpha Flight. So even though this for me feels like I am dealing with 21-year-old MJ again, I can see the excitement that I feel about MJ when she's 25 and she's that same JMS parallel. I can see that on the horizon for this somewhat regressed character, like the way they made Misty Knight look 13 years old in Giant Size Ultimate Spider-Man. Interesting. I hear where you're coming from. It's a weird... You are putting me onto an idea that I didn't really have. So, like, I'm not, like pushing back i'm saying like this rephrase i think to be right even if we completely well, no, I, don't even, I don't i don't even it's not like a, i have an argument against it it's more just like i went into this really thinking like they are trying to move her past being who she was all the way through uh being lost in the other dimension so for people who are not caught up or do not know uh, Amazing Spider-Man picks up. There are spidery adventures, and the thing that we find out is that Spider-Man and MJ are not together anymore. Uh, apparently, they were back together at some point. I don't read enough Spider-Man to really keep up. Uh, but they're not together at this point. Not only that, but Mary Jane has a serious uh, partner husband, and she doesn't really want to talk to Peter. And then we discover that she has children. But that's insane because they were together six months ago. So what the hell happened? And Peter's an absolute mess. Ultimately, we discover that Mary Jane got shunted to another reality, uh, was there for a very long time, and Peter was gone a day, was in our reality for like a day trying to build a machine to save her. Uh, in that reality, she meets this guy, they find these kids, they adopt the kids, they fall in love, they are entirely so together. Poorly. <laughs> And Peter does show up again, and ultimately the villain, uh, through contact with the villain, Mary Jane gets these very nebulous, uh, rune-based, she basically rolls a rune, uh, or rolls a series of runes, and gets a power based on that. And that then becomes... a Rather than being like runes, they're slot machine... Uh, icons which that is a part that i have not read deeply enough to understand and i'm sorry dear viewer i do like to do my research but uh getting us to this point of jackpot i simply couldn't do how how are there uh slot machine runes on your body that are giving you powers i really tried guys but i couldn't do it what i have a theory yeah she's catchy the character from Final Fantasy VII with it. the slot machines, she's just catchy. Yeah. Because she's a sex kitten riding on a big dude. So I think it completely makes sense. There you go. And of course, by big dude, I mean black cat. One of the things that kind of bothers me about Jackpot just a little bit, I'm guys, I'm a big MJ fan guy. Uh, it's weird because I think... 
I guess MJ is maybe my favorite Spider-Man foil, not love interest. Love interest sells this incredible character short. But I don't think Black Cat makes as much sense as Peter's love interest. Um, I think Silk is wasted as Peter Parker's love interest. MJ is so much smarter than him. He just gets better for being with her. I'm a big fan, but I need somebody to please tell me how this isn't just better suited by putting Hollow's Eve with Black Cat. Ooh, I like Hollow's that. Eve, who kind of has random magic powers, yep. and they're sort of like you never know what she's going to reach into her bag and get. Yeah, uh, it. This just really feels like we have a few too many. You know, TK, you've been saying something this week to me that uh, just makes me want to give you the Marvel Universe, and that's you know you've been reminding me about the now age-old uh mastermind moment the ladies mastermind yep where there were two writers who both wanted to use daughters of mastermind so they wanted to use the one daughter of mastermind that had been canonically said to exist so that's how we got both reagan and martinique Martinique, Martinique Jason, right? It's Reagan Wingard and Martinique, Martinique Jason. Jason. I was like, it's yeah. not Reagan and Megan. I know that. Um, and then it's Pixie. So um, anyway, it kind of feels to me like they could have just simplified everything if they just took Zeb Wells and they said, dude, you are so good at creating so many characters. But perhaps this is a place where for the simplicity of readership, for the simplicity of the buying public, we would do better to only have one Random power, reality warping, sometimes your helper, sometimes a person who you have a complicated story with who is actually in a romantic relationship with a Spider-Man who got their powers from an alternate reality. Like, there's just a few too many parallels. Not that there shouldn't be that many women. I'm actually saying there shouldn't be that many men with that many parallels. I don't think there shouldn't be as many women. I think there should be fewer men so <laughs> well and you know we what are we doing here like what are we doing with this because we've got other amazing women too with powers uh as you mentioned like hollow's eve actually would have been a really good spot for this but this is tough to do this storyline and also it seems like it's really important that we be invested in the personal storyline of peter parker and mj and the fact that uh, Peter Parker needs to move on from Mary Jane, who feels like she has really moved on from him, except then maybe it doesn't as we get into Dark Web, which is where we really first start to see these. But the, the first Dark Web uh, Mary Jane and Black Cat series. So that's over a year ago. She already has her powers there and she doesn't have this costume or this suit and she can't really work the powers. Uh, but we've been doing this for a while and it's this weird back and forth uh it's very soap opera y uh and i just feel like okay i will invest in that and i could invest in the very beautiful story of mary jane saying i have simply moved on we are done yep uh and i also would invest in mary jane saying i have powers we are now colleagues uh they don't you know they don't have to get together in that story but the idea of we have this really complicated time travel or dimension travel based breakup in which i now have a whole family and you need to let it go 
oh, also, I have powers and we're colleagues and I am best friends with the girl that you are dating but kind of can't commit to because you're still in love with me and your brother clone uh, also has a girl in the mix who is very similar to... It's just a lot. And then on top of that, like, we have other amazing women who could interact with this whole thing. We have uh, Beetle. We have White Rabbit. There are so many women in the gang war. And I'm not, as you're saying, I'm not saying that there are too many. I'm saying let's really focus on what each person is bringing to the table. Uh, I don't know that MJ being jackpot is what she brings to the table. And yet, yeah, uh, the mother of mayday and uh the mother of annie spinneret i see i see them and okay thank you for bringing up spinneret yeah i mean that's a, that's a huge that's a huge part of it for me spinneret changed my life like dude i mean obviously you're my world but like sharing renew your vows with you sharing spider girl with you is incredible but like renew your vows is growing up really quickly if you've ever had a fight with somebody going into the lincoln tunnel when there is a jam on 40th you literally come out of the tunnel two hours later a changed person and i feel like renew your vows is that level of transformational yeah spinneret yeah. is like actually the hallmark that i think you should compare all au versions of what was once considered the love interest Yep. And, you know, this iteration of MJ is great, but it's why I called her kind of like a backtread. Yeah. Because this is not Spinneret. Right. Uh, and it's a twofold thing. One, not r not writing concept super well. Powers aren't great. Uh, but also, she's just in a weird place. I guess it's a threefold thing. Because the third thing is this outfit. This costume. Uh uh earlier today this luke cage we're having some trubs <laughs> earlier today uh colin and ness posted on twitter that the costume was despicable uh to which i said that i think it's actually amazing if you consider the fact uh that mj is actually in the 1993 film uh aspen extreme and I really do think it looks like a 90s ski instructor outfit. The goggles, the uh, very tight-fitting bodysuit. She just looks like she's really trying to be aerodynamic. I feel exactly the same way. You know, when I think about uh, the newest iterations of kind of like classic looks of characters, I cannot help but think how much... Marvel is relying on, like, early 90s bodysuits by Nike and Adidas for the Olympics to get by for the last 20 years. And I mean that really positively. I mean that really lovingly. At least they're no longer tracing the King of Spain. But this look is really just a bear claw, free fall, and gunner's view away from being point break. This is not my shit. Um, yep. I also hate the bug glasses. Yeah. I understand what they're meant to reference, but as glasses, they just look bad. Wait, I don't get what they're supposed to reference. Um, a the lot of these... Of the OC where Seth wears the old man glasses is what I assume. That drunk lady, she fell down. 
The drunk, um, the drunk spider. She fell down. I think they're meant to look like Spider-Man's bug eyes. Like, if you think about the look of the iron spider eyes, I think they're meant to be sunglasses that give, like, Aranya. They give, like, uh... But she doesn't have spiders. She's jackpot. She has casino powers. Right. She's just meant to give that illusion, Michael. Oh, my gosh. No, but then, uh, oh, my God, they really are like the old person glasses because they wear those in casinos. So it really is the old person glasses. <laughs> oh, MJ. End of the day... Here's what I just my 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 overall on this issue. This was a great pilot that I feel like uh Kevin, would you just uh, zoom in on the cover for me for a moment? Which one? There's two. The right one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I'm so sorry, the credits. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, Celeste Bronfman. I knew I was going to say Bronfman wrong, and I just don't want to give this writer any disrespect. Celeste Bronfman, this was a disservice being done as a jackpot issue because this was one of the most engaging pilots I've ever read. I would have followed this new number one anywhere. If you told me that this new number one about this new character in your new universe was meeting up with another hero who is their ex, who was a hero before they were, my heart would have been in. I think in some ways, making this the jackpot gang war tie-in sells this issue short. If this was treated as a 60-page one-shot and was meant to give me jackpot, the jackpot universe character, I'd give this an A+. This was an engaging event for a female character who was here to say, I'm not here to be somebody else's love interest. As MJ's jackpot first one shot with her own name on it it's kind of a b plus because it's playing into somebody else's world and relying on that down to this cover which has her on a web on the web to yeah. my opinion that the glasses look like uh iron spider glasses you know i just really think that celeste bronfman has a huge future writing incredible superheroes male and female this was a great issue it just suffered from being jackpot Yep, I think that is exactly right. I think it suffered from being Mary Jane in Gang War in 2024. Uh, I think there's a lot of places this could have worked. I would have loved to have seen this a year ago. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I say I would have loved. I, th I think that would have made somewhat of a difference. I think holding off on this for another year when it definitely feels like uh, Wells' run is winding down, uh, which means, again, we're in that place of trust. I'm taking everything with a grain of salt. We get five issues of Jackpot and Black Cat. But then that's now we're six months from now. We're getting into con season. Are we getting an announcement that Spider-Man's whole world has changed? And whoever this awesome new author, who I know means well, who comes on, comes in and says, well, no, I like it when Spider-Man and Mary Jane are together. Uh, and I don't like casinos. So we're done. Uh Wrong direction. Go full casino. Go crazy full casino. The whole Marvel universe is blackjack table. I, I love this. I love the look of this. Wilson Fisk. I feel like invest in uh, a casino. Uh, I think the there's a girls of Spider Man, yeah. like uh, Typhoid, who has a thousand powers. Yep. Jackpot and uh, Hollow's Eve. Hollow's Eve. Yep. Three of them. Yep. That is an unstoppable... Oh, and throw in... Uh, 
what's her name? Uh, Julia Carpenter as Madame Webb. The four of them as yep. a magic girl spider team. They're yep. just unstoppable. Yep. Um, the one, my, my one hope is to tie Mary Jane into her other selves. Uh, I, I do think it's just important. You know, if there's a spider verse, if there is a world in which all spider, if we're getting spider society, if we're getting spectacular spider men, I love it. I love it. I'm so excited about spectacular spider men. Greg Weissman. Come on. That's my childhood. Could not be happier. Uh, there are Mary Janes in every single one of those universes, and they are hugely important. And I know that the argument could then become like, well, the, you know, there's also uh, Gwen's, there's also Flashes. What about them? It everybody gets their time in the sun in a different way. Mary Janes are kind of we're in a shit or get off the pot place with Mary Janes at this point, and I feel like knowing having fallen in love with the mc2 mary jane and the spinneret mary jane and now the fact that we have hot babe mary jane whose hot babe husband just became spider-man we gotta have a reckoning these people deserve more than even just the best intentioned love interest treatment you know it's one of the things that i think is always really funny when somebody says but what about that person i'm like mm -hmm. what do you mean but what about that person I have always, oh, you mean all fans haven't always wondered, but Mary Jane's experience, what is that like? Like, I don't know. I think, I think back on these uh, classic runs, and if you told me that in 10 years, we're going to see Stevie Hunter uh, adopt an unbelievable superhero identity, that would just make me excited. You know, I think Mary Jane as Jackpot is so long overdue, it's almost embarrassing for Marvel, but they're correcting it now. She's amazing. And we've had a lot of conversations personally about I love Steve Orlando and I love Jed McKay. There should be a woman writing The Scarlet Witch, uh, one of the most treated as a female identifying characters in the history of the Marvel Universe. They have done everything to her you can tropishly do to a woman. And... For some reason, the two people writing her right now are both men. It leaves me just a little a little unsure, but I see how many incredible female voices are touching Jackpot, and it does leave me really excited for the future. Fully agree. All right. Talking about the future, talking about the past, and of course the present. There's only one place we can go. The Ascani Sons. The Ascani Sons. Um, okay that we heard that they were going to do a new Fabian DCA's a cable. And we were like, Oh, well, it's old man cable. No, it's both of them. And the biggest problem here, this hasn't been running for 25 issues. Uh, I don't want to say that the 12 issues of Jerry Duggan's cable were a waste because it didn't turn out that kid cable was kid strife who wanted to do better. But when Fabian Nicieza picks up Cable, it feels familiar. It feels healthy. It feels strong. And then you get to a line. Like, stop filing your nails and get me the information I want. And I get so mad, I throw my tablet, enraged. I don't want to read Cable being a misogynist. 
I pick up the book. I turn the page. She calls him a misogynist. Actually, I believe she calls him a misogynistic pig. Let me just say, Fabian Nicieza, I I have had the luxury of meeting you several times. I have had the pleasure of discussing my critiques with you several times. My good man, this is one of the best issues I have. Just for me, this is one of the best issues Fabian Nicieza has ever written in his entire career. I, I really agree with that. I was super stoked about his juggernaut work. Uh, oh, by far, yeah. And I sort of felt like, you know, my my thing is now, uh, even Morrison, who I absolutely love, I, I worship at the altar of Morrison, but his new X-Men was 23 years ago, started 23 years ago, and there are times where I just feel like, it's 23 years ago. It was a different time all around. You can't say that all of your ideas still work. Uh, and we get some of the old guard. And I just think, you know, I, I have, my life would not be the same without Chris Claremont. But I don't think that Chris Claremont's conception of the X-Men works so much for me anymore. Uh, Ultimately, a thing that, ha you know, I love Tom DeFalco as well. Tom DeFalco in 1998, this is something we've talked about in all of our May Day coverage, was not very cool. And he didn't really understand anything about the cultural zeitgeist. He was a, he, he was a company man. It's a phrase we use a lot. He went into work every day and his job was to write comics. Increasingly after that time a lot of comics writers their job was to write comics but to be cultural commentators who wrote comics to understand the zeitgeist and work with it and some people are very successful even though they don't because they can churn out a lot of writing and they know how to work the process but a lot of people are successful because they write well and they write to not just the medium strengths but the interests of the people who read Anne Nesenti, Louise Simonson, Fabian Cieza are three people that are from that old guard where I sort of would tend to think in general when you're in that pool, I have some concerns about you writing present day stories, present day character voices. And I name those three because they are the three who have exceeded every expectation and for whom I think it is very important that they continue to write because it is not that all old people should be disqualified from writing a more youthful medium because they're old and they don't get it. It is that if you allow yourself to become Steve Rogers in Avengers Twilight, where you say, I'm just an old man, I can't do anything, I'm not part Part of this anymore then i don't want anybody asking for your name on books so that they can sell them and to have you come in and write stuff that isn't very good but these three Anne nascenti louise simonson and fabian nicieza have shown that they still are on the tip of what is interesting and cool they still can write as though they understand that like we no longer say go file your nails uh we no longer say tranny if we're talking about a transgender person uh we know there are just things we don't do anymore and they have proven regularly that they get that and they can do that and it makes me really excited to see their stories 
uh, this cable was just one of those moments where I was like, yep, this is this is a guy from my history and my past that I loved his writing, and it's really amazing to get to see it in my present. Steve Scross is another guy who did a lot of cable. He actually did some cable when Rob Liefeld returned after Fabian Nicieza had left. Yeah, And I don't think that Steve Scross's clobbering time over on The Thing was quite as... <clears throat> advancing of the character not that it was a bad book it was certainly an enjoyable read but it was wow what a cool reflection on the thing by a classic creator fabian nicieza i think has got to be pushing 50 something by now and he's still managing to make exciting new cable stories and that is actually significant because he's writing kid cable here did i think i would see kid cable in this title no you know, Fabian Nicieza sometimes feels a little bit like a gatekeeper because he's of an era of gatekeepers. But opening his heart to the idea of Young Cable, you know, that is such a humongous step for those writers. It was sort of like when, um, for Uncanny 450, Claremont included X-23 and then added her to the team and, you know, built that relationship for her with Psylocke that no writer ever used again. Um, including Claremont. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's so exciting about Fabian Nisi is taking the time to interact with Kid Cable. I never thought I'd see Kid Cable again, and Fabian Nisi's Kid Cable had the most adorable sense of what Fabian Nisi's always thought a 16 year old Cable would be. When somebody says to him, You're shorter than I thought you'd be, he goes, I'm tall for my age. Mm-hmm. And like, his adult Cable would never say that. But Fabian Nicieza's adult cable is clearly the adult man of a 16-year-old who would say that. And that is one of the most exciting things about reading this book. This felt like something I've always thought was there being written. You know, the idea that kid cable could interact with adult cable is just so exciting. And this, it's exactly that. This was always there. And this was what I was writing in my head when I was a kid because my dream was to be the son of Cyclops and Jean Grey. All That's all that I wanted. Well, and you are, so. There you go. And the fact that uh, I came to that dream right as Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix came out. And so I met young Nathan Summers and I spent the rest of my life thinking about what that character would be like for the rest of his life. Uh, and it's why I also really glommed onto Nate Gray because Nate Gray was a teenage cable. What would it be like if teenage cable was in our time? Uh, and there, Jerry Duggan definitely got some parts of it really right. Uh, mostly the big thing that he got right was the family dynamic between all of them, including, uh, Emma and the cuckoos. Uh, there were times where I sort of felt like this is just Quentin, uh, you know, and, and cable is not just Quentin, especially because this cable had a history that went back to pre-Krakoan times where he came back, brought Cyclops back to life. They did the extermination. He was already in part kind of Cable. Uh, you know, he he did it for the mission. He would go back and kill for the mission, which is an entirely Cable thing to do. Uh, and Quentin, not the same guy. Doesn't quite get the mission in the same way. Wolverine started teaching 
Quentin the mission in X-Force and Quentin still didn't get it. Uh, so there were a lot of times where I was just like, this is just cocky, white-haired uh, Quentin Quire. You can really see where Nicieza is taking the time to say, here we have adult Nathan Summers. How, what are the elements that get us to this person? And how does Cable become harder in a lot of ways, but also softer? Because I don't think adult Cable kills for the mission like Kid Cable does. I think going back in time and meeting the new mutants and the X-Men teaches him to respect life a lot more. Uh, and so you get a Kid Cable who, when he first shows up, is really willing to be pretty violent and then spend some time having a mom and dad and a sister uh, and I think the last thing that he kind of needs is to have exactly this reckoning with the fact that there is always a cable running around and the thing they ultimately really need to do is talk to each other. You know, one of the things that makes that read so powerful is that this issue is so much about cable coming to terms with his place in the Krakoan age. Yeah. How do you feel about the idea that kid cable was introduced before Krakoa, but is so synonymous with Krakoa? Yeah. You know, that's the thing that made him famous. How do yeah. you feel about that post-extermination identity for this character? Um, it's going to be really tough in the years going forward. Uh, I think Cable is also one of the people that says the first Krakoan age uh, and establishes that, like, this is part of his past and it's really important. And so Cable, for me, is always something of a, uh, an important figure in how we could get back to, the, to Krakoa. Uh, and how we could revisit the ideas of Krakoa, even if we don't return to, you know, the status quo that I'm holding on to too tightly. Uh, I think at this point, it really does become, I mean, everything is becoming about the character's verse. The cable verse is one man along a constantly branching timeline not so much meeting other versions of himself from like a reality where there's this thing happening or reality where his suit is purple but meeting himself at different times as he tries to sort through timeline shenanigans and we're really starting to see that language in this where he asks young cable have you ever heard of the neocracy have you heard of the neocracy you haven't gone to enough timelines if you haven't um, and I think but it's that, worse than the Dominion. <laughs> uh, that yeah, I mean that. I want to give Nicias a credit. I want to say that that's editorial mandate because they want this to be something that isn't just. Uh, well, the gray gar the gray gargoyle is involved, so you know it's a big fucking deal. That's like getting Billy Baldwin involved. <laughs> it's such a big deal, Fabian. I'm on this ride with you, and so I'm going with it, and I'm smiling, and I'm having a little laugh. Boy, oh boy, that reveal was certainly unexpected, and I love to be surprised. I recognized uh, the names, so I was like, oh. <laughs> there's, there's a moment where he starts to strip off his clothes where he looks really fucking hot. <laughs> Um, I'm interested in my dream outfit. Unfortunately, it's also Conor McGregor's dream outfit, so I might need to rethink my fashion. But yeah, there is that. Uh, I 
was very surprised to hear uh, the person I model my life after say, hey, we've got a threat bigger than the biggest thing the X-Men have ever faced outside of time, space, reality. It could be everything. It could be nothing. And let's go get it. And then we go get it. And it's a D-tier villain uh, who isn't even cool among D-tier villains. That's okay. I'm on the ride with you. I know you're going to take me to a great place from here. And I'm going to laugh about this forever. And we're all going to say what a fun time we had at summer camp that year. But wow, wow, wow. That is a moment that I had reading this book. You know, and I think part of what makes this book so shocking is when you think about who Jerry Duggan is to the modern X-Men, I guess in some ways, if you view Jerry Duggan taking over for John Hickman as a parallel to Fabian Nicieza taking over in so many ways for Chris Claremont, there really is an heir apparent vibe that makes this feel very like home. I found this book like home to me because I'm preparing to say goodbye to Krakoa. This did not feel for one minute like it is a part of the fall uh, of the rise of the powers of the 10 of the X of the five or whatever, which maybe for me, when I graduated college, I had gotten to a point where I was living and working in New York and I would get to class because I had to Britta. Very Britta. My whole, I am Britta Perry and Britta filter uh, from drag race. (laughs) I can't shut up about living in New York. It's I'm the, I'm 100% the worst. Um, I was living and working in New York and then like school was like 20% of my day my week because there were days when i didn't go at all and so my graduation which was like to some of my friends such a monumentous my parents didn't go to my i didn't go to my graduation uh i didn't i didn't do anything for that um and for some people in my life it was a week of like tears and events and memories and just winding down but i had other stuff going on uh not that i was like more monumentous but i was just working and it it just my my life went on it was great and i think a lot about what a good time in my life that was uh this felt in a way kind of like this is like the most cathartic thing that i could read because it really is like everybody else is at graduation they're freaking out about the end of the krakoan era they're in the white hot room they're at the trial of cyclops they're having these huge emotional moments uh poking sinisters in the card suit Cable is fully aware that all of this is happening. He has another job. He's busy. He's working. Uh, But how is he literally skipping the return of Apocalypse, the ascendancy of Sinister, the defeat of Xavier, the torture of Cyclops, the murder of Jean, the evil reality-altering ascendancy of his mother, and he is just like, BRB, I have an Avengers Forever to do. Greg Argoyle. Greg Argoyle is coming for us, guys. We got to get into it. Uh, I completely agree in so far as everything you're saying, if if they would let me write it, that is 100%. He would start at the Limbo Embassy and just place to place, go deal with every single thing that is happening uh, because they all are so important to Cable and Cable was so important to making all of these things supreme. Uh, we couldn't have the 12 without Cable. I mean, nothing Apocalypse or Sinister related, really, we could have without Cable being part of it. So that is, to me, incredibly unfortunate. Uh, 
but it is so not happening and so not going to happen which i already gave up on when he didn't show up in dark web which was all about his mom being upset that they never got to bond um so at that point i just realized i, I i'm not going to get this stuff and if i'm not going to get it fabian nicieza writing cables talking to each other is yep. something that i have also felt that i've needed for over two decades and yep. getting it is good it is good uh but man oh man everything you said really actually is i mean if they were ever like where do we go wrong not having cable be super important to these things that he is the foundation for because I feel like in so many ways, while Rachel Gray was definitely popular as Phoenix, she was never as popular as Cable was. Cable iterated through comics into multimedia and, you know, eventually made his way into the TV show in a major way. Of course, I'm talking about X-Men, the animated series. Um, you know, when you talk about things that made time travel possible for the X-Men, so much rests on Cable and the re-envisioning of the Ascani Future Timeline understanding how many big parts came together you know when you think about that it involves a celestial ship it kind of makes a lot of sense that right now we're seeing the rise and fall of the x-men deal with such major marvel multiversal ideas as dominion you know i personally probably would not have had sinister be part of the dominion but when we consider that cable is kind of in many ways the source of the multiple timelines that iterate throughout the X-Men, it makes sense that Sinister, a character so closely related to Cable, would also be in a position to be multiversally dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all, it's all plausible. It's all on the table. Uh, and I just... Maybe if, if we're lucky this is just the first time we're revisiting some of these concepts because the idea of cable engaging in cable has the techno organic virus which is related to the technarchy which is related to the phalanx which is how we get to titans which is how we get to i mean like it's all there we could do it at any point and there are really times where it does feel really wrong that we're missing these opportunities and there are other times where it just is what it is and it could come up later. Uh, I I have grieved the idea that we're not going to be doing cable for this stuff. But man, if we were ever to revisit it, uh, the idea of the Iskani son becoming a dominion, like a dominion of good, a dominion of writing, the opposite of a trickster dominion, I think would be so cool. Uh, and I think just is kind of, the elements are sitting there assembling themselves if you look at the entire history of the Summers family, which that is from X Factor onwards, one of the huge central fulcrums of fuel and movement and gravity in Marvel stories is what's going on with the Summers family. You know, talking about things that uh, move past just the boundaries of reality, you know, I think about Civil War II and Ulysses. A mm -hmm. uh, character that was meant to never be anything more than this pivotal moment in an event. Of course, Cable was always meant to just be the little kid that uh, Scott and Madeline had. Because at that time, Madeline was never even meant to be the clone of Jean Grey. So, sort of the giant snowball that is Nate Grey is in and of itself almost impossible to sometimes absorb. I think about the fact that 
if the Avengers Twilight book were an X-Men Twilight book, the most logical character would be Cable to replace Captain America. Yep. And it really does stand to reason that if the X-Men are going to constantly be rebooting, Cable is the character that you want to be rebooting around because he is a time-based character. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing he did this issue that was not time-based that I loved was the art on that techno-organic gun. Mm -hmm. Look, I do not think comics need more guns, but if you're going to make a magic gun that only shoots out viruses, okay, I can live with that. Um, and it looked so cool. Well, that was a visual styling that was established in X-Men Red. Uh, and it is a, a thing that Cable can do. And it does look really cool. And I think uh, X-Men Red sort of the reason why you're cooing about it now and we don't really talk about it from X-Men Red so much is because it really got to be like a it's everywhere suddenly after two issues of never having been a thing before. Yeah. Uh, and then it was just like a lot all at once with a lot of other stuff happening. And so we don't think about it as much in this case. It really is a big, like I'm doing this once this hurts. I can't do this again. This takes a lot out of me. Beautiful splash page. Uh, and I think it's really easy to take cable stuff for granted. And it is a, a real feature of this story that everything is very special to the story itself the reintroduction of irene merriweather a character that i really loved back in the day from the old cable and deadpool island of providence you and uh, the entirety of the internet and all people who wrote fanfic for the entirety of 20 years yeah yeah uh i mean you know i'm not gonna say what i want to say uh oh you should say it there are two cables. Uh, I choose to believe the younger one is over 18. Um, Same. Bringing back Irene, super cool, really made to be a special moment. The other really big special moment, for one thing, Cable, I love that Cable is such a New Yorker to Fabian Nicieza, which... Hell's Kitchen. Hell's, he has an apartment in Hell's Kitchen, uh, and, and young Cable's 18. That's all I'm saying. Um that he takes him across the bridge into Jersey to go to his favorite sub shop. Uh, you know, Cable is a graduate of the 1988 class of Harvard Law, which means he went to school with Michelle Obama uh, and then became a successful lawyer and moved to New York. Like, there's so... Uh, Cable is such a great, layered, horribly stupid character. The only thing you can do is write Cable amazingly or terribly. There is no in-between. And I do think Fabian Nicieza really writes him amazingly. These details that they're not super established. Nobody ever would have need to say, say them, but they are now in one hour after reading this. They are huge canon for me that Cable, again, like me, can't shut up about living in New York. He has this whole life and he takes his little brother son clone boy to go get subs with him. And it's such an important thing. Uh, and because the other thing is, though, he got that time with uh, Slim and Red. Cable has never really gotten to be fully raised by parents. And it is very clear that he was supposed to be. And that Cable is helping to raise Cable. Again, it goes back to that idea that Cables need to talk to each other throughout time. And that Cable is taking some time to be a role model to Cable is 
again, just hugely important. So much of this book is just about the special moments that make Cable such an important character. How would you feel if Kid Cable decided he was X-Man since X-Man is, you know, X-Man? Uh, to me, it is exceedingly important to deal with Nate Gray in some capacity. That isn't the worst thing I've ever read. Uh <laughs> But I love the idea of Kid Cable taking on the X-Men moniker. Uh, I really like, you know, the, the, my, no, I'm not even going to say my pitch. Uh, but I love the idea of Kid Cable taking on the X-Men moniker. I think that would be really cool. You know, and I think part of the reason that I really want to see that is because Age of Apocalypse is so uniquely its own thing. I don't know that Cable and X-Men feel like quite the same thing the way that maybe even ultimate wolverine feels like our wolverine interesting yeah um cable x-men really is not meant to be part of this world and since it, i right. you know i've always wanted to see it work out uh but it never has and i kind of at this point think it's never going to so uh, what you're saying is right and what you're proposing is a really cool solution. I think like what I, yeah, I just, I think that would be very cool. I also think X-Man is actually a very cool name and idea. Uh, the idea that you want Rita, to- yet again. Yes. Wow. Wow. I don't need this from you people. Um, <laughs> but it does go back to what you said of like, if he's going to be- their Captain America, you would be X-Man. You know, and I think part of what makes Cable such a unique character is how many people have worked on him in how many different iterations. Whether it's Jeff Loeb creating X-Man, Chris Claremont creating The Kid, or Louise Simonson and Rob, and Rob Liefeld creating Cable. It's just such a uniquely touched on character that he represents the best of all of the best parts of X-Men. It's hard not to root for him when he's kind of the all-star of the all-stars. And the fact of the matter is, now that Liefeld has officially made Major X a character that exists, if people need to do uh, heterosexual big dick gun storylines, give him to that, dude. Leave Cable alone. You know, because part of what Cable has that Major X does not have is that Cable has been elevated to this idea of, like, shaman. Yes. Cable has reached this idea of uh, a religious significance that Major X and his 11 appearances altogether can't hope to, uh, you know, ever achieve. Of course, he's had six appearances so far. I'm projecting that he will have 11 total. Um, the thing about this issue of Cable that I really loved was that Fabian Nicieza just surrendered to the fun. This wasn't about Krakoa being a sad place of endings. This wasn't about the Marvel Universe being a complicated place of reveals. This was a classic issue. This could have been from the 1970s. This was fun. Yeah, this it, absolutely. And that's what I'm kind of saying about, uh, you know, the old guard still knows how to have fun and still knows how to reference the old stuff. It's just when some of the guys really can't, you know, they'll reference the old stuff, but there will have to be a teenager on the panel. And the teenager references some, like, 
20 year old not special show uh special like teen show and just it completely fails uh you know like if kid cable were to be like mm, i just started watching euphoria it would <laughs> fucking kill me it would just kill me and that's the type of stuff that happens um and well, because there's such a desperation to keep them cool and young exactly. and new exactly um, but I think it's something that has to come kind of instinctually and naturally. And if you can pair that with really understanding how to write fun stuff, you just get great, great stories. And that's what Fabian Nicieza gave us here. Um, I know we're wrapping up on this. I really quickly just want to check in on the other Fall of the House of X stuff, which is Iron Man 14 and X-Men 30. You know, I think I just want to say that one of the things that's been so exciting is whether it's the bigger picture of the ability to incorporate new ideas into the X-Men because the MCU is now a fully rights-owned place, I feel like one of the things that we're seeing is characters that grow the X-Men. You know, we look back, because uh, X-Men 30, you know, we can bring up Spider-Man and the X-Men. <laughs> uh, you know, there were these touchstones that said, oh, look, the X-Men still exist in the Marvel Universe, but it hasn't been this fun since like the 1990s with things like the aforementioned maximum security. Yeah. It just hasn't been this sort of free for all in a while. While I think invincible Iron Man has been to the greater uh, detriment, maybe overall to both X-Men and Iron Man. This was not a failure by any means. I recently read the last 12 years of Iron Man all straight through and you know, Jerry Duggan's Iron Man is maybe the crowning achievement in his X-Men, which is a sad, weird statement, but it's a unique statement, and it's going to give him a, a unique legacy to remember from here on out. I Duggan absolutely writes like somebody who is not worried about getting uh, not enough issues, and sometimes he should worry. And I will say that we are, it's taking us quite a long time to get to the Mysterium suit, uh, which could be like an enormous game changer for Tony Stark for years of Iron Man to come. Uh, and so the kind of treading water we're doing isn't always the cutest thing ever, but when it leads to moments like Forge and Riri Williams, two passionate inventors, uh, teaming so up good so good so important uh again native two inventors of color indigenous man black woman uh two people just underserved in comics always uh and again passing whatever the bechdel test for these things is not having to sit there and talk about their heritage and explain it to people they're in space yelling at a dragon talking about uh the ten rings it's perfect it's so good uh and that is that kind of like we haven't had this fun since the 90s where you would just get blood ties, you know, Black Knight and Cersei in their uh, bomber jackets yelling at the Maximoff family. Uh, and it's just all over the place. And so it is fun in that way. It's not perfect. Uh, we need to just say on air and for the world to talk about Tony Stark and Emma Frost had sex. Okay, so um, I'm a decent-looking human male. 
and uh, people that I'm not necessarily like, oh man, I'm overwhelmingly attracted to, uh, have been like, hey, would you like to? <clears throat> and I've been like, sure. Guys, hot people fuck. And the number of people that are like, Tony Stark would never put it in iron in Emma Frost. I'm like, guys, realistically, how many of us have made a bad decision at the end of a night, at the end of a stressed night, at the end of a stressed night, at the end of a stressed month? The number of people that said that Tony Stark and Emma Frost should never get married, I respect it. You don't like what you don't like, but we've been on this trajectory for five plus years. Calm down. I'm looking at like literally nine former contributors of our show. And and me for a while. I I was absolutely one of those people. But I of the things that aren't working for me about this, the slow burn of that relationship actually ends up not being one of them. It does work for me. Uh, it took them a while to get here. And I, actually, I mean, like, I would never imagine Tony wouldn't have sex with Emma. Tony absolutely is just stoked when it's on the table. Uh, Tasty Cake um, asking, isn't Tony a clone now or something? I lost track. So, okay. Tony Stark died, created a robot body for himself, and Bendis was like, this is his new body. And then Gage was like, mm, I don't know. And then Slot was like, definitely not. He rejects his AI body. And the body he's in is a result of Cantwell making him a god and giving himself an organic body. So currently... The original consciousness of Tony Stark was downloaded into a robot who was given godlike powers, who recreated Tony Stark's original body from organic material and put his own brain back into it. So he's there kind of go. like Pinocchio Tony Stark. If Pinocchio, Pinocchio yes. went back to the original forest from which his wood was made and had the blue fairy put his soul back into an adult version <laughs> of the original Pinocchio. Yes. I love it. Um, sure. That's one review. So, you know, I, I've never thought that Tony wouldn't have sex with Emma, but I have often thought that there was just no way Emma would go near Tony uh, this book has really earned that, and it's the thing that you just said earlier, uh, which is uh, also Tim Burnham. My brain kind of did just explode. I w I'm very much that meme of the woman uh, the squinting math. off to the side, trying to trying to get the math. Um, Nico uh, text live texted me his entire Iron Man read through, and this actually might be the moment where it's finally he's finally convinced me to do the read. If I was. Uh, guys, I can't even explain it. I was at the most beautiful campsite in the entirety of the Poconos. I was 72 hours of drunk and high, and I am reading, like, literally, according to my notes, maybe 67 issues of Iron Man straight through with no sleep. And I'm just texting TK, and I'm like, I think I finally understand what it means to be alive. And TK is like, babe, can you please sleep, honey? I'm worried about you. <laughs> it is actually, uh, Cantwell's Iron Man run is a meditative reflection on what it means to be responsible for your own actions. It's a great run. Um, so, you know, oh, go ahead. 
if I may quickly interject on the banging and my also support of the banging. Please. This is something that I talked a little bit about on our coverage of the Monarch finale this past Saturday, where we talked about that monster OT3 of Keiko and Bill and Shaw and how, you know, just the idea of, and, and I talked about how the, the Glee fan doesn't understand certain ships, and I'm sure there's ships and other stuff that people are like, that doesn't make any sense. But the fact of the matter is, people, yeah, exactly, bang, and so many more people would bang uh, if they would just give themselves permission to. Uh, and I think that's something that needs a little bit more acknowledgement. And ultimately, that is literally exactly what happens. Uh, it is... What Nico said earlier is really important. Like, what, you've had a stressful week, you've had a stressful month, like things just aren't going well, and you seek comfort. Uh, and that is literally Emma's in a terrible place. Uh, they've been doing nothing but work to try and sort out their Krakoan situation, and she has a very vulnerable moment with this person that she has just been saddled to for weeks now. Uh, I, I do ultimately, like, it takes its time to get there, but it justifies it. Uh, and that's more than we get from a lot of silly comic book romance stories. So at the end of the day, even though, you know, when I read that original uh, prophecy issue that said that they would marry five years ago and had a meltdown about it, uh, actually getting here, I am very impressed with Duggan's work. I said earlier, his X-Men stuff isn't always for me. This is a very solid lane for him for me. Writing a heterosexual man who interacts with some of my favorite characters, but is not integral to all of them would be a place that I would really like to stay. Uh, X-Men, meanwhile... <laughs> Tasty Cake says, I twisted my ankle today and that whole premise hurts me more than anything I could ever, would ever write. Poor Pepper. Yeah. She's really relegated to the background here. You muted, boo. You muted, Nico. Not quite yet, but it's going to happen. I know it. Now? There we yeah. go. I was muted in two places. Yeah. Okay, so funny. Um, this was literally in my bottom five issues of this run of x-men i mm, mm -hmm. i think jerry duggan has less than 10 issues left and is flailing this is a gentleman who had 10 years of stories left in him and has one year to tell them this was not what i wanted for sync sync felt like a tertiary character in a book that only had two characters I thought the pacing on this was deeply uneven. And part of what threw me off about it is if anyone could convince me that the high evolutionary is interesting, it's probably Jerry Duggan. If Jerry Duggan had just made all of Phalong, the evolutionary had inserted himself into human affairs. I'd love that book. But what we got, I don't know. This is too many people way too close to the end of what feels like a lot of clever ideas with nowhere near the time or the runway to take off. This was such a weird thing to me because 
of all the ideas comic book fans really demand that you pay off your ideas now but uh we we grew up in the claremont era and we've talked about this a lot uh where just stuff got said that sounded hugely important and then decades go by it's never never touched again uh and it's stuff that like entire world ending plots could hinge on just a couple panels one time never talked about again i love that issue where sink gives his blood to the high evolutionary uh and it so obviously felt like that's going to be a huge thing and in a world where krakoa went longer or a different person with a different plan had been writing yeah that absolutely could have been a really big thing that is exactly a plot point that i would say it's okay to forget that that happened we do not need to pay that one off what if steve orlando were chris claremont he would be taylor swift okay I'm kind of like, I can't stop laughing at that idea. Yeah, I gotta... gotta, Everything you're saying. I gotta pray on that for a real long time. If somebody is brave... Claremont, though? Well, like, if somebody as brave as Claremont were doing what Jerry Duggan was doing now, this issue of X-Men would have been classic X-Men 267. It would have been, you know, Uncanny, Where Wolverine, Captain America, and Black Widow fought the Nazis. But Jerry Duggan's reach on X-Men is limited by the boundaries set by guys like Claremont 40 years ago. So instead, it's the high evolutionary as a nightmare in Avengers-esque plot point. Yeah, it's really, it, it comes out of nowhere because we left that point in 2021. Uh, it doesn't feel... Thanks for looking it up. It doesn't feel hugely important to this story at all. I didn't need it paid off. That's the thing is I I re- will remember that forever. And if in five years somebody else had said we're doing a counter-earth story with X-Men and it's going to get mentioned that he has Sink's blood, I would have thought that's cool. That did happen. That's true. Uh, that probably changed a lot of stuff for him. Maybe he made counter-earth mutants. To do it here... Where it's just, it feels like that thing where somebody's like, oh my god, I just remembered. Um, I, gave, I gave the high evolutionary my blood, let's go. And it's this really fast trip that then fridges uh, Talon. Um, and sure, it is a, that is a very have, have your cake and eat it too situation that makes a fridging almost more insulting. No, I uh, have no cake. Yeah. No beautiful butts were put in front of me. No just cake. zero, zero butts. <laughs> Um, so Talon's body was killed by the High Evolutionary in a way that does not feel uh realistic. Whatever. Message me earlier. We're like, hey, guy, your your attitude changed, and I was literally in the middle of eating, uh, reading X Men number thirty, and I was like, no, I'm just having a moment. There you go. Um, her mind sync downloaded her mind, and he's gonna get her a new body. Uh, will it be the exceedingly insulting idea that he just puts it in the original Laura? Uh, will this be the last person to get a Krakoan grown body? Because there's like 25 people that need to be resurrected in other ways. And if we're just Nimrod, yeah, she's going to go into Nimrod. Absolutely. I, it's such an, a weird added plot point 
that now we also have to deal with that at a time where there's just too much other stuff going on. I will say the Cyclops talking to the therapist, beautiful writing, beautiful idea. Uh, just maybe that's an unlimited. She's too late. What's that? 70 issues too late. 70 issues too late, yeah. I mean, really, uh, and and maybe it was an unlimited rather than here because this is the flagship X book that has to carry us through way too much plot. Uh, I love... Cyclops ongoing that was going to terminate in an annual that was this conversation for four pages that felt like it came out of no point of Duggan's X-Men but was just dangling in Hicks... Hickman's X-Men. Yeah. For like four years, no one touching it. Yeah. So it's tough. It House and Powers has to do a lot. There's really uh, oftentimes just no I can't see any good way to do it all. And I I end up just kind of frustrated. Uh Phil Noto art is beautiful. I don't think it is appropriate for all occasions. Uh, and I think more specifically, there are times where it's just m maybe not the right person. Duggan's Cable, really good place for Phil Noto 90% of the time. Really great stuff came out of that. I loved the way he drew his kid Cable. I loved his Emma. I loved his Scott. I loved his Cuckoos. Uh, I, this, I feel differently about this. Well, I think part of the problem is that Phil Noto is an emotional storyteller, and this was an action issue. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and I think if I were to take it further, it's an action issue that doesn't know that that's what it is, and that's maybe part of the problem. And then that's why that therapy session is weird. Um, so, you know, I, I get what you're saying. It didn't, didn't quite do it for me, but we continue to move through the rise and the fall in the House of the Powers. So I just want to, like slightly shift us to some other companies for like a hot second please because um, we got some awesome news today or yesterday uh jason aaron writing the new teenage ninja turtles number one is like i don't know the last ronin is one of the most compelling things i have ever read uh kevin eastman and peter laird coming together to tell the final turtle story is one of the most epic things I love the future generation of Turtles. Those are four incredible characters. And uh, knowing how much this is a labor of love for Jason Aaron, this is a dream come true. You know, so few people get to write their favorite thing in its anniversary year. And Jason Aaron has written like so many people in their anniversary years. Just knowing that he's going to take over the Turtles. I have a really good feeling about where the Turtles are heading. How about you, TK? Um, um, I am less worried about the turtles. Uh, you and I have been talking for a while about where is Jason Aaron? Where is he going? Because uh, we, I ended that Avengers run saying this is the guy. There's no way that he is not getting the next Secret Wars. Uh, and then nothing, which really was a heartbreak. Uh if he has stepped away from Marvel and signed what I hope is a really solid agreement that makes it easy for him to pay his bills and live his life, uh, with, uh, with is DC it... writing the greatest version of Bizarro ever. Well, there's that, but I that's I assume that's just one 
one side project kind of uh I'm, this is idw or image i forget uh idw idw i hope he has signed a really good deal with them and i'm so excited to read this i have not read a ton of turtles and i certainly haven't read a lot recently um how much fun i had with avengers there's just no way I'm not excited for this. It doesn't matter that it's a property that isn't my whole life. I mean, I was a Ninja Turtles uh, cartoon kid, but I didn't parlay that into the breadth of really cool stuff I know was produced for Ninja Turtles after that. And I'm just so excited that this will be my onboarding to uh, new Ninja Turtles stories. You know, I'm a... I'm a really big, uh, I guess, classic Ninja Turtles fan. I've read a lot of The Last Ronin. I'm a big fan of Kevin Eastman. Uh, his Electra story that he did this last year was so incredible. It's just one of those things where, like, a legend is, uh, I don't know, he's a legend for a reason. And this Last Ronin story was definitely one that grabbed me. And knowing that uh, Jason Aaron is launching with a new number one has me very excited. However, I want to pivot to a different green lizard superhero uh okay i've read 225 issues of savage dragon i am at 225 i will eventually catch up uh i've read the plot of 267 and my whole world is shattered as a guy who has read 225 issues of eric larson's savage dragon I think you blew out your mic. Well, <laughs> your mic is... Uh... Did my mic short out? There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. I have read 225 issues of Savage Dragon. I am not ready for 267. I was reading the synopsis of this. I cannot figure out how I get to this uh, from 225. I am so excited. I am such an Eric Larson fanboy. Uh, do either of you have any experience with Savage Dragon, or have I read 225 issues in a box? You're in a box. I've never heard of this in my life. I've absolutely heard of it. I'm so aware of it. I don't know anything about any of the stories. It was like 1997, and I watched the whole animated series, found out there was a comic, read the whole thing. Uh, at that time, there was like 100 issues. Eric Larson does a giant 100-page issue every 25 issues or so, maybe, until issue 200. At 200, he drops it down. It's every year or so. Um, this was... I read this out of context earlier today, and this was my fucking... Anybody who's been reading Savage Dragon for 267 issues, my fucking god... I really need people to talk to me about this because this, the shit that happens before this wedding was the wackiest shit I've ever read. Um, uh, really can't even talk about it, but it was amazing. Uh, the only other things I really want to talk about um, are the amazingness that is going on at DC with Green Lantern. One of the things that has made Green Lantern so exciting for me is that Sinestro is no longer a bad guy. I love Sinestro as a good guy. Um, you know, the first appearance of Sinestro, he's like, Hal Jordan, I'm obsessed with you. 
You will fuck with me till you die. I just want to die fucking with you. This really is that run. <laughs> I think the Nestro might die. But um, I'm a really big fan of everything going on in Green Lantern and Green Lantern War Journal. Uh, it's really exciting to be a fan of Hal Jordan and also Jon Stewart right now. Uh, TK, I have been bombarding you with Green Lantern stuff for like three months. How do you feel about the stuff I've been telling you what's going on? You know, it. Uh, I put up a pretty hard shell about DC stuff because I just can't afford to invest. But the way you talk about Green Lantern does make me feel a little bit like I could invest in Green Lantern specifically and not then have to do every other part of the DC universe. Uh, and so like my interest remains very peaked. I never super into Batman, never really into Superman. And like, I've, I've been talked to about them more than you have talked to me about green lantern. And it's still just a bit of a pass. Most of the time, uh, there are storylines that I'm always really interested in. Uh, there are, um, production things happening that I'm always really interested in, but just no, just no, this does seem very up my alley and I just, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you can feel, you can feel the vibe. You can feel when it's going to be time and it's not right this second, but I feel like my green lantern time could be fast approaching. Listen, all I know is that uh, somebody is gunning for the Yellow Lanterns through continuity. It is so exciting to see DC using its continuity as an advantage instead of a uh, a bug. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think is so exciting about DC that Marvel maybe doesn't have is Marvel is always looking to apologize for some of its mistakes. DC is just looking to incorporate them. And... Uh, yeah, Sinestro is a good guy. That is an incorporated mistake, but uh, I'm here for it. And I just cannot wait to see where the Green Lanterns go in the future. Sorry, Kilowog, this was not your time, my handsome, but uh, it's okay. You know, shit happens. But uh, anyway, I just really loved Savage Dragon 267, Green Lantern number seven, and the news I heard about TMNT. And uh, I just couldn't wait to share them. And TK, it was so exciting to get to hear you excited about Iron Man number 14 and X-Men number 30. Let's not go overboard on X-Men number 30. <laughs> well, you were excited to talk about it so you didn't have to talk about it again. That is that is about the right thing. But yeah, I, <laughs> I will say Iron Man, I continue to be a champion for the fact that like I, I like writers who have lanes especially uh, cis-hetero writers, um, God love them, cis-hetero male writers. They are the backbone of comics, despite our best intentions. Uh, but I like when they have lanes, and I think Jerry Duggan writing a cis-hetero uh, billionaire, great place to be. Let's line them up. They're having fun. It's good. And man, did I love the rest of these. AU, where Jerry Duggan is writing Pepper Potts as the, like, lesbian unstoppable fashionista iron man that's the world i want to live in sure but uh you know end of the day 
This was three slices of the Marvel Universe that involved the future and the past. Yeah. Jackpot looking back 20 years ago to Dan Slott creating MJ as a superhero and then, you know, Un- undoing that. Uncreating it. Phoebe uh, Nicieza and his 40 years of cable excellence and Avengers Twilight and its 40 years of Marvel AU excellence. I still say that the thing I am most excited about is Avengers Twilight, but how about you, TK? I think, yeah, I think I'm most excited about Avengers Twilight. Uh, I just, I see a lot of, I'm really excited about Chip Zdarsky. That's, that is a big part of what it comes down to. This was a great story. All three of these, I think were great stories and I really am excited to see where they go. Uh, but at the end of the day, I put a lot of stock in Zdarsky a couple years ago and he changed my comic book reading life. So that's seeing where that goes is, is really important to me and really exciting. You know, I think about the fact that when I first started reading modern, modern, eh, modern comics, I was reading Bendis writing daredevil and then he took over new Avengers. And then when I read the Zdarsky run of daredevil, I knew that was going to be a turning point and seeing him take over Avengers twilight. That really is the sort of modern mark of the Marvel universe that I'm looking for. I'm looking for that sort of forward thinking, but based in the past that Chip Zdarsky offers that I just don't feel like I get from maybe a Steve Orlando or a Jerry Duggan. Not that they're not brilliant writers, but their future vision for Marvel is maybe not as aligned with my own. Chip Zdarsky, for all that I maybe sometimes wish he was given more issues to expand things like the Hand Saga, he really paints the picture of the Marvel Universe that I want to be part of in the future. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and I'm excited to uh, take the next step. Also, uh, please go out, check out X-Men, check out Iron Man, check out Savage Dragon and Daredevil and every other book we discussed that was not one of these three incredible number ones this week. Because Marvel, Image, DC, and every other company is putting out books that you should be helping to support. Um, you know, if you can't, then don't. But if you can, then please do. And that is uh, really part of what's so exciting about getting to talk about things like Savage Dragon and uh, other things like TMNT that I secretly love in the background, but maybe don't get to talk about on the show quite as much. And uh, TK, Kevo, when the two of you always give me room to talk about this stuff, it feels so good. I'm stoked that you did. I mean, you me- you mentioned that really offhandedly, and I was I was actually really excited because you know, we we always know we're going to talk Marvel, and every week we know we're going to talk Marvel comics. But uh, you know, getting a random Green Lantern update throughout my day is actually really fun. I I I think it's very interesting. I we got excited about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together, so I was I was stoked you brought that up because I wouldn't have thought to. But then randomly, when you were just like Savage Dragon two sixty seven completely out of left field and i love a completely out of left field moment i'm so so stoked to hear more i literally never thought those two characters could get married i am mind blown eric larson crafting this story since like 1992 you know we talk about chris claremont chris claremont created the x-men within the boundaries of the marvel universe or recreated them in 1975 jumped off in 92 jumped back on in 99 
Eric Larson has never left Savage Dragons since 1991. That is incredible. Yeah, that's some commitment. I'm stoked. So, uh, Kebo, where can everybody find you online if they want to learn more about you and the amazing graphics you created for this unbelievable episode? Uh, you can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. Do you and want to they... go the future board? What? Oh, sure. No, I can. Uh, where are we at? We have a lot of uh, awesome coming attractions, things that we are going to be discussing soon. If it'll load, it's just this is actually kind of a pretty little. Uh, screen though and the this is we're just no, doing pantones our saturday <laughs> theme is pantone it's incredible arrangement of pantones uh well we have upcoming our big day saturday echo which i can say freely because i'm not in the same room as our tv at home uh so it's not going to <laughs> ping are saying echo 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 you guys are gonna have to unplug that thing uh refer to it as lopez show when we're on the I put the TV on mute sometimes, so that's probably something that we'll do. Uh, we have our ongoing coverage of RuPaul's Drag Race, which we are going to have more to say on Sunday, I'm sure. We have a lot of really awesome things coming up this season. We've got awesome sci-fi hits coming in the late spring, like Doctor Who and Star Trek Discovery. I also snuck this onto the board for TK, because I know that we're definitely going to do some Eurovision coverage. Um, Can't wait. And, you know... With this here, I wanted to say something that really pinged for me that you guys were talking about uh, that I thought was really interesting is I feel like we are at an interesting crest of, uh, you know, evolution of storytelling and uh, representation and just the way we tell these stories that a lot of the stuff that you were talking about really pinged stuff that is going on in Doctor Who for me. And so I think this is a really awesome time to be studying and covering media. And I love doing that with you guys as a team. We love doing it too. And I'm so, I'm really, really stoked to talk Doctor Who for real, real. We had a ton of fun with the specials, but this will be our first time doing a series as a team and it's going to be a blast. Heck yeah. The weekly installment of Doctor Who is always sort of more one and done than the comic universe that we always compare it to. So that makes it really exciting. The idea that every single week of Doctor Who is a historical dose of how the universe could have been. I don't know. It's always an exciting opportunity. Yeah. All right, TK, where can everybody find you? You can find me at TK Elemental. Nico, where can everybody find you? Nico Action. N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. That's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, and more. And there is, of course, as as, uh, Tasty Cake said, always time for cake. There's always time for cake. We cannot wait to come back on Saturday. Talk about some Echo. And, uh, you know, when we say we're going to talk about Echo, I'm, of course, going to use that as an opportunity to talk endlessly about daredevil but also a little bit echo i guess um the tv show is incredible yeah so good but uh i cannot wait to come back and talk about one with you guys as always you can check us out on x's for show that's on youtube twitter and uh i almost said twitter and x i just cannot accept that twitter is x yet because x thanks for joining us tim sorry hey tim it was awesome talking to you Tim Burnham, when we're ready to talk about Daredevil, we'd be so happy to have you with us. But please, 
There are six things we need you to do. All right, we got uh, we got the immediate category and the very conceptual forever life category. So we got like, comment, subscribe. Please slam those buttons. But then also, number one, stay safe. Most important thing in the entire universe. Number two, be brave. It helps you stay safe. Number three, evolve. Always be the best version of yourself you can be tomorrow because today you learned a whole lot of things that are going to make you stronger now. And until then, we cannot wait to celebrate things like Echo, Drag Race, and the amazingness that is the evolution of the Marvel Universe with you. You can check us out on Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, and of course, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday on podcast feeds. Holy shit, we never saw All the days. All the days. And uh, until we decide to bring it to you every single day, uh, come check us out at X's for show. And uh, until then, we'll see you.